Luke 21 again this morning. Uh, so head that way. It's weird, Ryan, going that way. It's, I don't pass you, Ryan. I'm not used to that. It's the little things that mess me up. Well, it's a lot of things that mess me up. Anyway, Luke 21 this morning, <clears throat> as you're making your way there, uh, you know there are people in the world whose whole career is to predict the future. And I don't mean palm readers or, or things of that nature. I mean futurists. Have you ever heard that term, futurists? Uh, it's a pretty uh, interesting job. They're sought out by businesses and others because they systematically predict the future of economics and world politics and fashion trends and just about everything else. Uh, some do better than others at this. It's a pretty good job because, you know, 10 years from now, by the time they actually get, find out whether they're right or wrong in any way, uh, I found their ideas pretty interesting to read, but not particularly accurate. Uh, I looked up some of them, and I did this. Rather than saying, what, what are they predicting from this point forward, I went back and thought, 10 years ago, what were they predicting for 2021, uh, 2020, actually? Uh, and here's what some of them are. One said that by 2020, life expectancy would be 100 years. Uh, hasn't quite made it that far. It's at uh, 77 and a half this morning. Uh, not this morning, this year. Uh, so, bit off. Uh, one said paper books will be absolutely dead. It'll be hard to find a paper book. Uh, if you need one in Sam Cassing's house, there are plenty of them boxed up and ready to go. Uh, but as much as I like, I personally love the Kindle, but in reality, physical books uh, have made a massive comeback as, as far as sales go. Uh, one of them said that we are going to vote electronically from home. <clears throat> Close, uh, but that did not end up coming true. Uh, now, to predict these things is very difficult. Uh, however, to predict a city that's going to be destroyed 40 years from now, uh, a prediction like that would be insane. For instance, if I told you that Manhattan what was going to be invaded and destroyed uh, sometime in the near future, and, and you believed me, you think that might unsettle you? <clears throat> you know, kind of, I don't know if I want to do this extra project on the house if it's all going to be destroyed anyway. Uh, and yet Jesus does that in our passage. He's predicting something that none of them could have possibly expected would have come true and terrifying in a lot of regards. He predicts the destruction of their beloved Jerusalem. And, and, and we're going to read that now, that portion there. And we're reading in two sections today. We'll read one and, and deal with that. And then we're going to read the second section and we'll deal with that. And our first one begins starting in verse uh, 21 of chapter 21. <clears throat> verse 20 of chapter 21. This is Jesus speaking. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let those who are out in the country, uh, out in the country enter it, for these days are of vengeance uh, are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those last days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all, uh, all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, enlighten our minds and prepare our hearts to learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So Jesus is uh, a bit better than the futurists that we have today. Uh, being divine certainly helps. Uh, in the year 70 AD, a Roman army led by Titus comes in and destroys Jerusalem, absolutely massacred the inhabitants. The, uh, the Jew-turned-Roman historian Josephus, that's often quoted just because he recorded a lot of what was going on at those times, uh, was an actual eyewitness to this event. And he describes these horrendous, de- in horrendous details, um, human sacrifice and cannibalism uh, and crucifixions and, and the bodies of men and women and children just scattered amongst the streets. Uh, it, it would have been horrible to have witnessed. But by his estimates, and these are estimates, close to a million were killed and nearly 100,000 were dra- dragged out of the city uh, to faraway places into slavery as, as captives. But what about Jesus' warning, right? He gives this warning. Why did, why did that happen? He, he told his disciples to flee to the mountains, which is, is really odd instruction in those days because people actually did the opposite. When, when danger came, when armies showed up, you fleed into the cities because that's where there were soldiers and walls to, to, to protect you. And yet, here, here is Jesus giving the exact opposite. When you see the enemy, run away from the city. Run away from that place that you think of as safe right? And so did the, did the Christians in Jerusalem obey the Lord's words here? I found it interesting to see this in history. They did. They, they absolutely did. And again, Josephus, who's not a Christian, uh, <clears throat> said the Christians, and, and I'll, this is a quote from him, they swam away as from a ship about to sink. He also says very few of those who profess faith in Christ were counted among the dead because they did indeed listen to the words of our Lord and fled at that time. Uh, verse 22 here gives us insight to why God ordained the destruction of Jerusalem. It's, it's vengeance, right? Which, which you know is the Lord's. Vengeance is the Lord's. Uh, this was judgment on both the city and the people because of their sin. Now we've seen, as Jesus has interacted with, with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, as he's, as he's going through uh, all of Luke, we've seen him point out all kinds of sin in their life, and yet... Uh, the sin that, they, that is really the main biggest sin they have is rejecting the Messiah that the Lord has sent here. Now, you see this, and, and does the destruction of Jerusalem <clears throat> sound cruel or harsh of God to you? <clears throat> Especially when we think of these details, right? The women and children, the streets that are even killed. Now, it, as we think about this, I want you to remember that it has been 40 years since the crucifixion of Jesus, i got to do it the opposite since the crucifixion of Jesus uh, to the ascension of, uh, from the ascension of Jesus uh, until the, the destruction of Jerusalem at this point, 40 years. And, and the significance of that is that, that God has been patient, right? He has given them 40 years to repent of their sin, to trust in the Lord, 40 years. Plus, the, since the whole temple system was fulfilled, right, and made obsolete in Jesus, it, it had to be removed. It is of no use at this point. And it was not by Christians, but by Romans who were being used as instruments of God's justice and wrath in this moment. Furthermore, as the, as the created, I, I want to remind you of this. You need to resist this inner temptation that we're going to judge our creator. That sometime we can de- somehow we can decide whether he is the one who's being harsh in this situation. Instead, what I, what I want us to see when we see this is, is see how horrible it was, right? To see the destruction come on the Jews in Jerusalem, even to, to children and women. And, and, and instead of, of seeing this in, as, as a way of judgment, I want it to be a vivid reminder of what your sin and my sin truly deserves. 
That's the part we tend to miss out on. In verse 23, Jesus feels for women, right? Those who are pregnant and nursing at this time. And the reason is that in times of war like this, they are the most vulnerable to be going through that. In verse 24, uh, we see this, this interesting phrase. It's honestly hard to know what the Lord means uh, for absolute certainty with this phrase of the time of Gentiles, but most likely, uh, this is the time that Jerusalem occupied Rome. Uh, Mark 15 records the Jews mocking Jesus for saying the temple would be destroyed. And I think this is significant because on the day that it was actually destroyed, that mockery was revealed to be foolish, right? Not a single person is laughing in the moment when his words come true. And and here's why that's important for us. Many today also mock the idea of Christ returning. That is unreasonable, unbelievable. How could you possibly believe that's going to happen? And you need to know that on the last day, rest assured, there will be nobody laughing when that comes true. And yet still, there is good news. Good news because every warning of God's wrath in in the Word that we we see that in in the world that we're getting closer and closer, every warning is also an invitation to discover God's glorious mercy. Now we're going to move on to that next section. We're going to spend a little more time here. I want you to follow along verse 25. I'll read it out loud. I want you to have it in front of you so you can look back at this too though. Uh, Jesus continues speaking and he says, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So here's what actually ties these two sections together. Whenever divine judgment comes, God gives protection to his people. The ark for Noah in the flood, the city of Zor for Lot when judgment came to Sodom, the mountain for the Christians in Jerusalem that we just learned about to flee to when when Rome attacked. And when Jesus returns to judge the world, we will continue to flee to Christ, to the cross, as our only hope, as our Savior. Uh, as 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. So this passage here is, is about the future return of Jesus, right? That's pretty obvious, right? In other words, this is about the end of the world as we know it. Uh, and the end of the world absolutely fascinates people. Someone told me in this regard this week, they said, uh, I am tired of living through historic events, right? It just seems like for the last two years that's what's going on. There is this, this low-grade fear in the people in general that everything is falling apart, right? Numerous environmental concerns. There is this worldwide pandemic, the, the protests and the riots from this past sun, uh, summer, Uh, The contentious election, the insurrection of the the Capitol building, the record-setting cold that uh, just blew across our land, just wreaking havoc in my homeland of Texas. Uh, And and, and there's this sense of everything is falling apart. And, And this question comes up, are these signs that the end of the world, that Christ's return is near? And you know my answer, because I've told you this before. I I don't know. 
If I'm honest, though, it seems like every other era has had reason to believe this is the same, th the, the same thing. I've been watching this documentary about the 1960s recently, and uh, I, I'm watching, I'm learning about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I would, if I had lived during that, and I know some of you did, I would have been convinced, okay, this is probably the end. I don't see how we recover from this. Or, or if you're living before that, right, the bubonic plague would have, would have seemed like the end in the 14th, 14th century. The fall of the Roman Empire would have, would have had me convinced, yep, this is the end, absolutely this is it. And, and so is it now, are, are we really near to it? Like I said, I, I don't know, but I, but I can tell you one thing for absolute certainty. The, the end is a real thing. I can tell you the end is coming. I can tell you Jesus will return with absolute certainty. And, and I'll tell you something else. These scary things in the world are supposed to make us think of the coming judgment of God. That's where our minds should go to, right? Seriously, every tornado, every hurricane, tsunami, war, terrorist attack should make you remember that the end, when the end comes, when Jesus returns, right, that this is coming and judgment is coming. It should also lead us to think of the grace of God for, for how patient He is. And so then, what this little passage teaches us is that when Jesus returns, it will be to your ruin or to your redemption. Your ruin or your redemption. There is no other option. Like the inhabitants of Jerusalem in, in, in that day, we, we either flee to the redemption of Jesus or we refuse these warnings and, and we end up in our own ruin. You see, the only safety is that we believe Jesus' words of, having, uh, of saving grace in the gospel, that we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of salvation from the wrath of God that is certain to come. Now, the imagery that Jesus uses here is, is really familiar, right? Or really similar to the imagery that we see in the Old Testament prophets. And we could go through a huge list, but let me just give you a few of these. Uh, Isaiah 34, 4. Uh, All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. Joel 2.30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of our Lord. These images are typically metaphorical, and yet there is absolutely a literal aspect to this, right? That, that what God is doing is going to be seeable in experienced experience tribulations. I mean, listen, listen to 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and when the heavens... And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now verse 26 in our passage says, people will be fainting because of such great fear. Fainting because of fear. Now we don't typically know fear and fainting like that. Uh, when Laura was pregnant with, with Beckham, we went with her family to a Texas A&M uh, football game, we got those cheap tickets that are way up high, and this is August, it's somewhere around 100 degrees on this day, really dumb to be standing on cement. Uh, anyway, we're standing there, and suddenly Laura just is gone. She just drops like a fly, just straight to the ground. I thought she was dead. Um, the heat, the dehydration is, is what causes passing out in these scenarios. Most of us know it that way, right? Someone doing sports or, or something happens and they pass out. And yet Jesus says that, that the fear within people because of what's happening in the world will be so overwhelming that they will just faint. Fear. Because so much 
of, of what gives them peace, so much of what gives them meaning will be lost. And because something that seems so unreasonable, so impossible within a materialist worldview will actually be occurring. I mean, look at verse 27, and, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Let's be honest, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in you, that is some crazy sounding stuff. Crazy. All reality and, and reason is going to feel like it is shattered into a million pieces at the return of our Lord. But, which is why when it returns, it's going to bring this, this heart-crushing fear to, to many. And, and, and so Jesus here also, I want you to notice, Jesus is re- refers to himself by this, this, this term, right? The Son of Man. And, and I want you to know that's not a description. That is an actual title that comes out of Scripture. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. And in verse 9 of, of Daniel 7, God the Father is referred to as the Ancient of Days. And then in Daniel seven thirteen, we, we see this title that Jesus is using here, this reference to the Son of Man. Now, now listen to, to Daniel seven thirteen. I, it says, I, I saw the night vision, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God, and, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so there's, there's two things here. The Son of Man, right, speaking of Jesus, is going to receive dominion, that is sovereign authority, and the Son of Man is also going to be given glory. And listen, this is a really significant thing. It's a big deal because God does not share His glory. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. Isaiah 48, 11, my glory I will not give to another. But the Son of Man, who is Jesus, He receives God's glory. And the reason for this is because Jesus is God. Most of you know this, right? The second person of the Trinity. In other words, this, this title, the Son of Man, actually communicates not Jesus' humanity, but Jesus' divinity. And so it is. God incarnate, Jesus Christ, who, who is going to return. That, that is who is going to show up. And one of the more interesting things is the way that, that Jesus is going to show up, right? I mean, he doesn't show up in, in, in a battleship. He doesn't show up in a, a, a DeLorean. He's showing up in a cloud, right? What a weird thing to say. Uh, Acts chapter 1 tells us that Jesus ascended, goes up, right, when he leaves, uh, as a cloud took him away and out of their sight. It also says that when Jesus returns, he's going to return the same way, and, and so a cloud. Now, have you ever wondered why a cloud? What's the deal with clouds? Um, where have we seen clouds before in Scripture? Do you remember how God manifests himself to Israel in the wilderness, right? I'll read it to you. Exodus 13, 21 is one place this, is, this shows up. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them by the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. God reveals himself in a cloud. Well, do you remember way back in Luke 9, uh, the transfiguration, right? They're, they're out there and, and they see Jesus uh, glorified and he's with Moses and he's with Elijah and, and Peter 
bless his heart. Peter wants to make tents for everyone. Let's just live here. Let's never leave. Um, and he gets interrupted, actually. And in Luke 9.34, uh, listen to this. It says, A cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When, when our Lord returns, as verse 27 says here, he is going to come with great glory, Right? glory that belongs only to God, and he's going to come upon a cloud. Both of these are signs of his majestic divinity. Now, uh, let's turn our attention to that last verse, verse 28. This, this is really where this passage, I think, really comes alive. I, um, I'll read it in just a minute for you, but first, let me ask you this. How do you actually feel about the return of Jesus? What are the emotions you have at that? And I, and I ask this because there are two ways, two general ways that we, are, that we respond to the signs of Jesus coming, the coming judgment of God. On the one hand, we, we desire it or, or we don't, and each response reveals something about our relationship with God, whether we desire it or not. Now, most people are, are terrified, even some Christians who struggle with doubt about Jesus or struggle about their own uh, the, the solidness of their own faith in Jesus, or who simply haven't thought through these things very well, uh, find themselves terrified at the idea of Jesus' return. And the, this passage is good because it can be great help to many who are in that boat. There are other Christians who are not so much afraid of it, but they don't really want it to happen. Um, now, I came to faith in a, a dispensational Bible church. Uh, I think Rapture and the Left Behind series, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of people had that bumper sticker that said, in, in case of rapture this car will be unmanned uh, and, and the church just spent an inordinate amount of time on on why they believed the rapture was going to happen soon and i was absolutely convinced this this is coming soon like for sure because look there's russia and that's the everything made sense the way they explained it at the time um, and so i thought it was going to come soon and anyway I, as a new christian as a young guy uh, when they told me that jesus could return any moment i did i did, was so bothered by that I did not want that to happen. I, if, if you'd given me a vote, right, to vote, does Jesus comes back today or not, I would have voted against him at this point. And, and, and here's the reason why, because I wanted to experience all the things in life that I wanted to experience. I wanted to get to go to college. I wanted to get married, right? Uh, I wanted to see the Astros eventually win a World Series. All these things that seemed important to a uh, teenager new believer, now, I, I, I mean, I did want Jesus to return. Don't get me wrong. I just wanted it to happen later after I'd experienced all these things. I, I wanted the joys of life and then Jesus' return. And I, I, I felt that way because I didn't understand the joy, the surpassing supreme joy that we will experience at the return of Christ. Joy that it's better than whatever gifts of the Lord which, which are, you know, fill our, our lives with right now, that we live with right now. That's what I wanted. So, so how do you feel about the return of Christ? You see, this, this passage we're looking at today is about eschatology, which is just a big theological term, meaning the study of last things, a.k.a. Uh, the end times. Now, there are two great errors that we make with uh, uh, eschatology. Um, one is that we become so obsessed with it, so 
confident that we know all the details and thus we approach the scriptures as, as if this were a, a book of clues and we've figured them all out and we know everything, exactly how it's going to happen and, and there's this overconfidence. Now the, the error that here is, is, is that I found is this, that I found that when Christians become so over-obsessive with, uh, with eschatology, they, they miss out about everything else that God calls us to in the scriptures. They miss out on how to love our neighbors well and how to share the gospel well and how to live for the glory of God here and now. And, and the other error is, is to care nothing at all about end times. Um, listen, your, your eschatology will influence the way you live. It, it, it's not something to be just who cares completely about. Now, again, now the other side of this is you don't have to be dogmatically solid in your eschatology. It, it, it's okay to not be convinced 100% of the various theories that exist for all the details and how everything's going to work out. But as a Christian, hear this, it is not okay to be indifferent about the actual return of Christ. It is not okay to, to not care about that. You see, the scriptures speak of Jesus' return very often, and so Jesus wants you and I thinking about the return of Jesus very often. Not so we can lord it over those who, you know, Jesus returns and we, yeah, we nailed it, got it right, suckers, told you there was no rapture, right? This is, this is not so we can, we can lord it over people someday. This is so that we can live daily knowing that this event is going to happen. So we can do what Jesus is talking about in this last verse here. And let me tell you again, it, it could be today that Jesus returns. That's not out of the picture. Um, and so let your faith, your life be shaped by this reality. Now, now look at verse 28. Let's read this again. It says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now there's a massive contrast going on here, right? While some are so terrified at the things happening in the world, at the return of Christ, that they are passing out, to his disciples, Jesus is saying, straighten up, raise your heads. That is, have a posture of hope, have a posture of confidence, even in the midst of that. And here's why, right? Why? Because your salvation, your redemption, rather, is drawing near. Do not be frustrated or fearful when you see these signs that Christ's return is getting closer because his return for you, Christian, is a good thing. It is a great thing. It is a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's a little like this. I, I, I saw a headline this week that said just these simple words, and some of you will get this, some of you won't. It just said, pitchers and catchers report today. Pitchers and catchers report today. And, and it excited me. Because I love baseball season, and this is the first sign, right, that baseball season, opening day, is coming soon. It is near. Now, maybe you don't care about baseball at all. Maybe, maybe you, you get excited when you, you see a trailer for a new movie or a new video game that you're longing for, and, and you see that trailer, you know, oh, the trailer went out. That means it's soon. It's coming soon. That's why they do this. It's getting nearer. That, that feeling is, is, is what we can and should feel when we see signs, even terrifying, scary signs in the world that Christ's return is growing nearer and nearer and nearer. Because we know then, we actually know that the end of this world is it's not the end. Right? People talk about all the things that they're convinced are going to absolutely destroy our world and like, that's it. It's just, when that happens, it's done. And we know better than that. We know it's, it's just the end of this sin-stained world, but 
It is the start of something far more wonderful than you can even imagine. It's, it's when our redemption will be fulfilled. Now, in one sense, we can say right now in past tense that we have been saved. We have been redeemed. We, we will not receive punishment for our sin, and, and so we have no reason to fear death, right? That is a done deal complete. We, we can also use the present tense and say that we are being saved from the power of sin as we grow in, in godliness. And still, there is a fulfillment of our redemption that we are still waiting. There, there is a, a, a certain, it's a certain thing, right, um, that Jesus on the cross paid for, uh, our full redemption, but we haven't quite received it all yet. It's a little like when you order something online. You've paid for it, it's yours, you know it's coming, but you don't quite possess it yet uh, personally, right? There is still an aspect of our redemption that we're waiting to be delivered. And, and, and these signs are, are like that email that you get that says, you know, package is out for delivery. And you're like, yes, right? It's almost here. When, when we receive the full benefits of our redemption at Jesus' return, what a day. What an absolute glorious day. On that day, the resurrection of the dead will occur. Hallelujah. On that day, we'll be reunited with loved ones who have died in the Lord. On that day, the universe will be restored and upgraded. From that day forward, we are going to live in a world without sin, without disease, without racism, without abortion, without poverty, without death. And we'll have a heart that you don't even long to sin anymore. You know that fight that you sometimes fail and you sometimes succeed at? It won't even be there. You won't even feel like sinning, right? And, and you will love Jesus endlessly, and we are going to worship with a purity that we have never yet experienced. Just an eternity of, of unfolding waves of joy. And again, no matter how terrifying the signs of Christ's return are, these things need not drive us to anxiety and fear. They ought not crush our hearts in that way, right? Men, women, and children who are in faith can, can rest safely that because we know this. It's like, and I haven't thought this illustration all the way through, so if it goes the wrong way, let me, let's let it go. When I was, when I first read a plane, it was, uh, I was a sixth grader, I was an unaccompanied minor, which meant my aunt said, here you go, have a nice time on this plane, fly home to your parents. Um, and I got on that thing, and it was, kind of terrifying getting up, and then the top, it's not so bad, you're flying. And, and then when it's time to go down, I don't know if you've ever been on a plane when you don't know what anything means, but the little like beep, beep, and you're, it means put on a seatbelt, but I didn't know that. It sounded like this thing's crashing. Um, and I'm, I'm just terrified, and most of you know I still hate flying, but this is probably where it comes from. Uh, just terrified because I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going on. I don't know that this is, this is a plane landing safely and I'm arriving at a destination. All I think is we are crashing, but, but I look around the cabin in, in that plane and I can see not everyone's freaking out like I'm freaking out. Not everyone's convinced this is a bad thing. It's a little like that, only we're the Christians, right? You, you know what's coming. You know what's happening. And, and so you can see all these things happen in the world. You can feel like the world's falling apart. And maybe you don't like it. That's okay. That's probably natural. But, but you also know that the return of Christ is near. You also know that, that you're going to arrive safely. It's supposed to go like this. And so it's a good thing that we, we can do this without so much fear. So I don't know if that works. Anyway, 
again, is the return of Jesus near? I don't know, but, but maybe. And, and my prayer for us, even as an unbelieving world sees those signs and are just filled with fear, my, my prayer for us as, as the church, as, as God's people, is that we will remain at peace and be confident in our Savior as, as we anticipate the fulfillment, the full fulfillment of our redemption. That in a sense, we're going to be able to, to say and, and believe those famous words of the band R.A.M., and you probably know what those words are, right? It's, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. And so how do we prepare for the end? We do so by, by trusting in Jesus. We, we do so by seeking obedience to, to the Word of God. We, we do so by extending the gospel to our neighbors and by giving worship to the Lord. That's how we prepare for it. L listen, G Jesus said Jerusalem would be destroyed. And it sounded crazy, and 40 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. J Jesus says he'll, be, he'll, he'll return and bring ruin on those sinners who stand indifferent or in opposition to him in their sin. Uh, and he'll bring redemption to those sinners who are united to him through faith. This will happen. And when Jesus comes, there are only two options for your soul. Ruin or redemption. If you don't know what's true of you, stop me after the service. Stop just about anyone in here and ask them, what, what does that mean? Let's, let's talk about what it means and, and answer questions you might have. If you just think, I don't, I don't know about Jesus, or I'm not sure about Jesus, or I have these questions because this seems crazy to me, get answers to these questions because Jesus will return, or you will die, and Jesus will return later. And either way, the only end is ruin or glorious redemption. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, every word you ever spoke has come true or will come true. And so we know that every soul you've ever created will face ruin or redemption. Ruin if we continue to seek after other gods and trust in ourselves or simply dismiss our need of the forgiveness of sin. But our souls will go on to redemption if you will draw us to yourself so that we confess our need of you, repent of our sin, and rest in you by grace through faith. Merciful Father, please work redemption in our hearts so our lives don't end in ruin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we prepare for the